Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Often, and I hope it will find great clarity and resonate in every fiber, every dimension of your being. Uh, that is what we are about. <clears throat> you have some index cards in the back of your pew. You might want to grab one of those. We're going to use them at the end of the service uh, this morning. I'll explain that later. They're there for you to take notes if you ever need them, but we're going to use them for a specific purpose this morning. Before we get started this morning, I want to pause and ask you to pray. Uh, Specifically, I want you to pray for the person, the persons on your pew. Um, if you don't have anyone else on your pew, Nathan, you can look across the aisle and include those. So over here, don't forget Nathan, Nick. Uh, um, ask that God's spirit would be clear with the people on your pew this morning. I'm going to ask you a specific question at the end of the service and ask that as we move toward that question this morning, there would be clarity um, it may or may not happen. That's okay. God works with us in different ways. It may just be the spark that ignites clarity later. But ask that, whether it's in this hour or it's later, there would be a sense of God putting his finger identifying on um, what he wants to in your life. Whether it's a singular thing or it's, it may not be quite, we're, we're complex, we're human. Sometimes it's not one thing. It's maybe things that we need to be addressing in our lives. Fair enough? So I'm going to be quiet for a moment, give you a minute just to pray for the people on your pew. I'm not going to, we're not going to give a lot of time for this, but feel free to do so with your eyes open if that helps to look, make sure you know who's there. And then in a minute or so, I'll, I'll close that. Lord, we do, as we come and gather under and around your word this morning, as we hear the word of the Lord, we pray that your word would truly be living and active and that your spirit would engage each of us. Lord, we all come in from different places in our lives. Uh, We want to bring ourselves in this moment before you as we are with no pretense with not a sense that we need to be someone different than who we are in order to be seen by you in order to be received by you as we are in order to be loved right where we are by you but lord we also 
are aware, we don't want to stay where we are. We want you to call us forward. We want it, and we may be afraid of it all at the same time. And that, too, is part of what it means to be human. We want to hold on to our lives. Um, we want to control our lives. We want to manage them. We want to always be right. We want all kinds of things. Those kinds of attitudes, Lord, they keep us from you sometimes. Lord, we ask that you would break through those ways that we protect ourselves from you this morning. Help us to see it in this really simple yet profound <clears throat> conversation that we're going to see in your word this morning. So be with us and help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So we are in the middle of the middle of the Gospel of John. We, we've now been in John, you ready, for a year, and we are smack dab in the middle, chapter 11. In, in some ways, we are really on center stage in the Gospel of, of John right now. We have arrived at a place in his gospel that's really sort of the bridge. Uh, this, is, this is a really meaningful chapter, chapter 11 of John that we're in. Uh, Jesus has been in a really intensive uh, time of public ministry. We've seen him go from different settings, different situations, different circumstances, different people to another um, that's getting ready to shift. This time of intense movement, sometimes it feels pretty rapid, is going to be changing, but we're smack dab in the middle of this bridge right now. He's still in the middle of something very, very significant. We've also been hearing uh, Jesus saying some things very profound. John organizes some of what he's saying that's so meaningful around what's called the I am statements. And there's seven of them in the Gospel of John. Today, we're going to land in the sixth of the seven. There will be one more in the second half of the Gospel that we'll see that he says that one really intimately, primarily just with his followers. But we're going to, in the sixth one, we've also, we're landing today on the last of what John refers to as the great signs. Of Christ. There's also seven of those. We've been through six already. Today, we're looking at the last great sign. It's the last, but it's also very much a foreshadow. It, in some ways, it's the first, <laughs> uh, but it's also the last in this section. In chapter 12, which we'll, we won't get there for a few more weeks, but we're going to see a significant shift starting in chapter 12, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because we're in the middle of the middle, and this middle of the middle is a big, big deal in John's gospel. I don't think I realized how big of a deal it was. I've heard that sitting in classes or from other sermons or whatever, but when you get there and you see what's happening, there's this sense like what is happening is really important. So we started in John 11 two weeks ago with the story of a man named Lazarus. And that's what this chapter is oriented around. And so as a review, 
Uh, in case you weren't here two weeks, but even if you were, let's hear uh, where we were two weeks ago, because that provides important context for the conversation we're going to engage today. I have asked Nick if he would come up and read. So this is going to be John 11, the first 16 verses that we covered two weeks ago. Reading from John chapter 11, starting verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters went, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when the person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, insert morons here, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. There you go. So the center stage is now set. We're going to enter a conversation today, really the first of two conversations, with the sisters, the M sisters, Martha and Mary. Really highly significant conversations. You might reflect some time on what have been the significant conversations in your life. Some really significant ones. I can think of several conversations in my life that I was really anxious about. You know, maybe I'm telling my boss I'm quitting my job. Maybe I'm going to propose to my fiance. Maybe I'm getting ready to make a move and I'm communicating that with my kids whatever it is, I can think of a lot that I was really worked up about because it, they represented some big change. Um, now, as I reflect on the significant conversations in my life, one of the things I've noted is the those were significant, uh, and there are many others like that, but the ones that have really left an imprint uh, on my life, they weren't necessarily the ones I was juiced up about. Uh, they were often ones that were, I weren't, wasn't planning on having. Many of them just sort of happened. They were, in the, they were kind of in the flow of life. One of the, my other reflections as I've thought about it is there's been, there's this group of people that I've had these kinds of significant conversations with, some of them also a significant relationship with, but the, the conversations that have left the biggest imprint have made the biggest impression it really wasn't simply about what they said 
it, it, I, can, I can think of a number of people in, in my life, and I've, I've been blessed, I think, probably many of you have, to have some incredible people in my life. But what has left the imprint on my life is not necessarily what they said, it's who they were, and, and perhaps how they said it. It was something that was more intangible than just them kind of saying a specific thing. Uh, I, I think I've told you guys the story when I was in college. I'm, I'm going to tell it quickly, but I was invited to have breakfast with this man. I didn't know who he was. Uh, the, the academic dean called me and said, Jim, we have this guest on campus. He wants to eat breakfast with a student. I picked you. Would you have breakfast with him? Uh, and it was an amazing conversation. I, wasn't, I was pretty disinterested, you know. He, to me, he was an old guy. And... Um, I didn't know who he was. He didn't tell me who he was. He didn't talk about his accomplishments. He didn't tell me that he was the most influential evangelical theologian of the 20th century. He didn't tell me that he was, he, he was the founding editor of Christianity Today. He didn't tell me that he was one of the founders of Fuller Seminary. He didn't tell me any of that stuff. You know what he did? He told me his story of how he came to meet Jesus. That's what he told me. You know what else he did? He wanted to know how I had met Jesus. That, that's what he wanted to talk about. And it was only on reflection, and even the conversation when I was in it, it didn't necessarily feel like this is going to leave a thumbprint on my life. It was, it was after I found out who he was that made the impression. It took reflection to look back and said, I was with someone really special. Yeah, he was very common in the way he was with me. And I don't know why, but the Lord just left an imprint. There was another man that I came to know uh, several years ago, who was like everything that Carl F.H. Henry, this man I was talking about, wasn't. He wasn't educated. He wasn't, he wasn't refined. He was a mechanic for 45 years at the same wheel and axle place. Um, he, he said really cheesy things, like if you want a friend, take your vitamins, be one, you know. And, and he never like tried to sound profound. He just kind of had this country swagger about him. But you know what? He was very much like this other man that I described, in that when he was with you, it was never about him. It was, there, was, there was something more there. Part of it was he wanted to know about you, but part of it was something more than that. There, there was a presence to his life. There was a weight of his life without tr- trying to be weighty. And, you know, over time you realize that was the living God living in him. That's what I was experiencing when I was with him. And I think that's kind of what we're going to enter in these two conversations today. Jesus is going to say some incredible things. You know, he's going to say some things that some of you probably committed to memory. But I think the imprint, the impression goes beyond just what he says. I think there's more going on. Evidently, obviously, there's more going on. So as we enter these conversations, we're just going to do the first one today. I really prayed for each of you that God would have something significant. There'd be something significant about this conversation for each of us. So here we go. Verse 17, John writes, on his arrival. So Martha and Mary have sent for Jesus. If you remember, he's sort of on a personal retreat on the other side of the Jordan River. Uh, didn't turn out to be a personal retreat. Large crowd followed him. He's 
with people. Many people are coming into relationship with God through Jesus' ministry. But right in the middle of that, a courier arrives and says, our brother, the one you really love, is in trouble. We're afraid for his life. He's very ill. Please come. So, that's what's our context, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, let's do a little bit of math. Maybe one or two are already doing the math. I don't know. So, what we're told is the messenger gets sent to Jesus. It's about a day's journey from Bethany on the west side of the Jordan River to the wilderness where Jesus is. Let's see. Give us that map up there. I, I forgot my laser pointer. But if you look at, on the right side, Bethany beyond the Jordan, right? You see that, that red dot? Okay, Would you try again? <laughs> Siri didn't get it. Uh, Beth, oh, sweet. Oh, Josh, man, what a stud. Okay, so, so Jesus is even further east than that area. He's up there in the wilderness somewhere in Peru. We don't really know exactly uh, where he was. So the walk, now Josh, go to Bethany, on the, uh, right there. Bethany, that's where Lazarus' family lived, which is only a couple miles from Jerusalem. So that walk, uh, we don't know exactly, because we don't know exactly how far he was or where he was, but it's a, it's a day's journey. Okay, so all that to say, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. What's he do? Does he go right away? No. We, we've, already, we've already covered that. He waits two days. So then he says, at the end of two days, let's go. Let's go see Lazarus. So now, it's a day's journey, which we can safe, pretty safely assume. It's now in three days, right? So maybe this is the fourth day, or maybe it's the third end of the third day. Either way, when Jesus gets there, how long has Lazarus been dead? Four days. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us by the time the courier got to Jesus, Lazarus was already gone. It already passed. In other words, it wouldn't have done really any good for him to go right away. He would have been dead for sure when he got there. So is that an unimportant, like trivial piece of information in this story? Yeah, maybe, uh, but I think maybe not too. We'll get to that uh, in just a minute. So next verse, Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. Many had come from Judea or to Mary and Martha, to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Oh, oh, I think what we learn from this verse is this is an important family in the region. They're coming from Jerusalem. For us, two miles is like a five-minute drive. Back then, two miles was, you know, probably a couple hours walk. Uh, so the people are walking in Bet to Bethany to comfort Mary and Martha. So there are a lot of people who know this family. Uh, it's not just the people from their village. They're coming from the city in to see. So now we're ready for the conversation. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stays home. 
Now, there's a little word here that we got to tend to for just a minute. John uses the word meet. Martha goes out to meet Jesus, but he uses not the common word for meet. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much to make of this, but the word he uses, this, it's, it's kind of a layered, complex word. It, it, it doesn't really mean just to meet someone, passing them on the street. It means to encounter them. Uh, Jesus, well, as Luke writes Jesus' story, uh, Luke writes this word once to describe two kings going to war. It's in Luke 14. It has the sense of oppose. Two people come, maybe we'd, maybe we'd use the word clash. Two people coming together. That's the word John uses here. I think John's using it brilliantly here. Because I think he wants to us to see Martha. He's not going to use the casual word for like she bumped into Jesus or she kind of strolled out to have a conversation. No, Martha is going to Jesus with intention. Now Martha, let's talk about Martha for a minute. Martha is, shows up in three significant stories in the Gospels. And, and as we read the stories, we start we don't know her whole story. In fact, we don't know that much about her story, but we do learn some things from the stories. The first time she shows up is in Luke chapter 14. A lot of us know that story. Martha and Mary, uh, Jesus is in their home, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. We talked about that briefly a couple weeks ago. She's learning from Jesus, and Martha's doing what? She's making preparation. She's busy, and she's frustrated. <laughs> She's frustrated because her sister's not helping her. And so uh, we, then we have this story here. And then in chapter 12, we're going to get another little snapshot about Martha. And we don't know everything about Martha, so I don't want to reduce her to this. But it seems like Martha's a pretty purposeful person. It seems like Martha is a get-her-done kind of person. It seems like Martha might have some type A. In her, she's going to be the one that makes sure things get done and things get done correctly. That's kind of the composite we get uh, from her. So she is initiating this conversation. Another thing interesting: every time Martha shows up, she's always, always, and it's just three times, but nonetheless, she's always contrasted with her sister, Mary. They're always set by, whether it's Luke or John, they're comparing Mary and Martha. And if you know the stories, Martha, the one who's really concerned about doing it right and doing the right things, gets cast in a little bit different light than Mary, who seems to be like, I'm just happy to be here. I'm not worried about the logistics. I get to be with Jesus. And so these two sisters always are kind of set beside each other. And so Martha goes to Jesus, and basically she says two things. She really says three. Let's, let's hear them. Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So what do you hear in that? 
I, I get the impression Martha has a lot to say. You got friends like that? They just have a lot to say. And they say a lot. I feel like that guy sometimes. Sometimes I wish I didn't say so much. Sometimes I just get tired of talking. But I have people in my family that are like that. Like, when I'm with them, they don't stop talking. It's not my kids, Holly, in case I was talking about you. It's just constant. That's how I think about Martha. She has a lot to say. A lot of what she says is often really good. She's saying a lot here. I, I see three things. First one, I just saw it 20 minutes ago. She addresses him, Lord. Lord. Master. Adonai. Then she says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. What do you hear in that? Shout it out. Give us two or three words. What do you hear? If you'd been here, my brother died. What are you thinking? Complaint? Oh, blame. Yeah. Okay. Some blame. Well, yeah. It's good. What, What do you hear? Hurt? Yes. Here's some frustration. Then she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. What what do you hear there? Faith. Faith. Yeah, that's what I hear. And we we don't want to miss that from Martha. That's why she's she's not just get her done, frustrated Martha. She's like all of us. She's, She's more layered than that. She's got some faith. She's got faith in Jesus' ability to heal. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. I mean, there's an assumption in there. You could have fixed this for us. But also make note of her awareness of Jesus' relationship with God. I mean, this is pretty profound, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Me and Mary, we've been asking. We didn't get it. I know God would give you whatever you ask. Why didn't you ask? But there's a confession of faith in there, even now. There's strong statements coming from a strong woman. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, we've got a little bit of a literary advantage here, right, in a couple ways. One, we heard Nick read this morning, Jesus has already said, hey, this isn't going to, this sickness will not end in death. So we've already been given like some insider information, a little bit of a, hey, heads up, maybe something Big will come out of this. We also have the literary advantage of reading it 2,000 years later. We, most of you, probably know the story already. So probably when I just read that, I don't know if your heart skipped a beat. 
I don't know if you, you are like on the edge of your seat with anticipation hearing Jesus say, your brother will rise again. So imagine with me for, um, if you will, a loved one of yours. And you're at the funeral home with the family because they've passed. And you're grieving the night perhaps before the funeral. People are coming and going. And then someone walks in and says, this person will rise. What what do you do with that? What would you do with that? What kind of effect can you imagine that might have? What do you say to that? Is this person nuts? Why, how could they be that insensitive to say that? Here, this is a very tender moment. We're grieving. So, did Martha's heart skip a beat when Jesus says this? Try to imagine being her in this moment. Martha, your brother will rise again. I don't know how that played on her in that moment. Oh, that's one of the times I wish that the chosen could have been there live, you know, to get the, to really get it right, you know. And we had video footage just to see her face when Jesus said it. We know how Martha responded. And honestly, I don't know how she could have responded differently. Maybe she could have. But how she responded makes sense. What I imagine, maybe at the moment he said it, there was this like feeling of being flooded. Like, I don't know what to do with that. You, you waltzing in four days late and saying something like this. I don't know if there's all kinds of mixed emotions. What we do see Martha doing it kind of, we, it looks like, is gathering herself. Look at verse 24. And given a respectable answer. I know he'll be raised again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha's a good Orthodox Jew. She's repeating what she's been taught. She had been taught that there is going to be a big one-day, someday resurrection of the dead. And that the righteous people would rise and be with God. And they would be part of his kingdom reigning. That's what she had been taught. What else else could she say in that moment? You know, I, I think we're supposed to be a little perplexed here. Her response doesn't really emote hurt, frustration, anger. Maybe that's still there, maybe it's not. But she gives kind of the right answer. I know, Lord. I know, Jesus, I know. He will rise at the last day. And she was right about that. There was nothing inappropriate about her answer. And there's another little subtle factor in here. How much does it weigh? I don't know, but, but, but this is the case. Jewish Orthodoxly taught that the body 
at the third day after death, the soul would leave the body. In other words, for three days, the soul was still trapped in the body. So sometimes in Jewish belief, there might be hope for three days. I don't know. Maybe Mary and Martha were hoping for even three days. Maybe that's why John is so determined to tell us Lazarus has been dead for how many? One day too late. One day too late. This is beyond her theology. There's absolutely no hope for Jesus to do something miraculous now. Except, that's not how Jesus is thinking about this. He's the only one in the room who's thinking about this differently. Everybody else is not entertaining the possibility that this could turn. No one. Jesus isn't concerned about Jewish orthodoxy. He has something else immeasurably different in his mind, in his imagination, in his heart. Here's a response to Martha. Here's I am statement number six. I am the resurrection and the life. Now Jesus has said some cool I am stuff already. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the, the door. I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. He said some really cool uh, sort of metaphors. This one is of a different quality. It's of a different nature. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Even if they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. There it is. I mean, that's the middle of the middle of the middle of the Gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. John could have just written that sentence and said, this is my Gospel. Here it is. I am statement number six, and it is a whopper. Seven words. That's it. Seven words with more meaning and power than anybody could possibly imagine. I am the resurrection and the life. John has been pointing us to this all along. He's been getting us ready for this. He starts his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him. There's nothing that's been made that he hasn't made. And then he says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. After Jesus Incredible conversation with the Jewish leader, Nicodemus. John writes, For God so loved the world 
that whoever believes in him would never perish but have everlasting life. John highlights in chapter 10 Jesus saying that you've got a thief that's out there to kill, steal, and destroy your life. I've come that you might have life. John's been getting us ready for this. I, Martha, in the resurrection, in the life. John 1.18, to circle back, he writes, no one's ever seen God. No one's ever seen him. But the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So now Jesus has Martha's attention. This is an incredibly powerful moment for Martha. This is that conversation for her. It's both his words And it's who's saying it. That's leaving the imprint. He's addressing her very personally. Remember where Martha is right here. She's grieving the loss of her beloved brother. She's hurting, perhaps frustrated. I think Jesus is saying, Martha, look at me. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he turns what he has said into a question to her. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe it? Martha has belief. She's already confessed that she believes Jesus is close to God. She believes if Jesus had been there earlier, he could have healed her brother. She's professed belief in the traditional Jewish view of life after death that's going to happen someday, one day, but Jesus isn't talking about someday, one day. He's he's entered this space of grieving and hurt and frustration and confusion in Martha's life and has said, I am the resurrection of the life. Will you enter this with me right here, right now, Martha? Do you believe this? He's calling her forward from her place of having to be right or always knowing the right thing to do or knowing what needs to be done. He's entering her space and saying, Martha, will you believe this? Will you turn your belief into trust? Jesus knows Martha. He knows the hurt. He knows she's been spinning with this if he'd only been here. Question. He knows her pain. And he knows what she needs right now in this moment. And interestingly, it's not primarily comfort. She needs that too, for sure. But what she needs is faith. Faith that has gone beyond belief and to trust deep trust. Trust that in some ways doesn't make sense. Maybe on the third day this would might have made a little more sense to Martha, but it's day four. So Jesus is calling out what she needs. Will you believe? 
There you go. That's it. Now, you're Martha again. I think the question that has to land with us is, what would Jesus call out of you? What, what is it that's in there that you're, you might be using or, or be tempted to use or find yourself doing to like not translate your faith from belief to deep trust? M- maybe it doesn't completely even make sense yet. Maybe you're holding on to something. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's confusion. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's just disorientation. Maybe it's uncertainty. Maybe it's disappointment. And I think Jesus wants to enter that space with you and says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am everything you are looking and longing for. Will you believe that? I'm calling you out of the place of stuck. I'm calling you out of doubt and uncertainty and confusion. And I want you to lock on me. I want you to look at me. I'm calling you to turn your back on making yourself the center of your life. God's been doing that with me lately and an area I'm going to name in a few minutes. We so easily get our lives out of order. Jesus wants to bring, he wants to reorder our lives in radical faith and trust in him. Whatever you're, wherever you're at, he's called Martha out. Let's look at her, one more verse. She said, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Yes, Lord. I think those are the words Jesus was looking for. Two words. Yes, Lord. Sometimes that's all we got, right? We want to get everything figured out. Everything figured out before we say yes. It never works that way. He's just asking for a yes. He was, he's not quizzing her on her orthodoxy. He's asking her to trust. Yes, Lord. He's not demanding that she have great faith. Just faith, honest and sincere, even if it's just a little. God knows what to do with a little. He always has. Yes, Lord. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God. You are worthy of my hope and my trust. Right where I'm at. Yes, Lord, I will trust you. God knows what to do with yes, Lord. He knows what to do with your yes. So, index card time, I guess. I'm going to get one, too. (coughs) 
what I want to do first <clears throat> is just ask uh, you to, as best as you know how, if there is one, what, what's keeping you from saying, yes, Lord? What is, what's the thing or things or state or situation or lack where you're not trusting? Um, what's God calling you out of? What does Jesus want to call you from? Write that down if you have a thought. If you don't yet, that's okay. This isn't a... There's no trickery going on here. It's just, um, you may know what it is already. And then either on the other side where you can tear it off or grab another card, it doesn't matter. If you have some sense of what he's calling you to, write that down. It may be just a simple word like trust. It doesn't have to be. Carl F. H. Henry, it can be Junior Kohler's word. Well, you know, one, one simple word. Come on up, Chance. That'd, that'd be great. Um, Chance is going to play in a minute. And um, I'm going to invite you to bring that card that says what he's calling you from and just drop it in this uh, canister in front of me. And just say, this is what you're calling me from, Lord. I want to let go of it. I want to to surrender it to you. I want to give it to you. Uh, You may want to name it verbally when you bring it up. You're welcome to do that if that is something that you just want to give voice to. But we're not trying to create an experience here. We're trying to do business with the Lord. I'm going to name mine uh, in front of you. I... One thing that God's put his hand on in my life is just how often I have so much pride around thinking I'm right about something. And um, that keeps me from loving people sometimes. Like I need to. Like I should. I, I elevate knowledge over love sometimes. I don't know I'm doing it but I've I've structured a lot of pride around knowledge and being right. And God is glad when we get something right. But if you read 1 Corinthians 8, which is how I got there, you're not going to do that, but I saw there was something more that God has. So my word is pride over being right. That's my phrase, and I'm going to write it on my card. And on the other side, I'm writing love. I'm going to tear it in half. So I'm going to give you, this is your opportunity. Um, if, if you wish, you can bring up your half of the card or your card and drop it in this can as your expression of saying, I'm letting, this is what you're calling me from and I'm going to do what I can by God's grace to move away from that and I want to move toward what he's calling me to. Radical trust 
and here's how it's going to be expressed. So I'm going to give you about three or four minutes. This is your time. 